Welcome back, peeps, to Perfect.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Now with your amazing hosts, Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. This episode is sponsored by Builder.io. Visually build on your tech stack. Hey, hey, perfect peeps. How are you doing today? Today on the show, we have Rich Harris with us. Hello, Rich. Hi. How's it going? I'm not bad. How are you? Doing great. So glad to have you. You haven't heard of Rich. I would, I would be pretty <laughs> amazed at this point if you're listening to our webcast. Web, webcast? Web yeah, that, that's great. Webcast. Yeah. Yeah. Something. We're on something these days. Rich, I don't know. What, what, are we, what are we making here? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Rich, creator of Svelte, um, inventor of Rollup. Do you want to give yourself a better introduction than I can possibly do? <laughs> no, I mean, that sounds about right. I <laughs> I work at Vassell. Before that, I worked in the news business for many years, and I, I do open source JavaScripty things. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So how's it going at Vercel now that you've got your feet wet for a couple of months? What's what's it like? It's good. I mean, it, it, it's a. I'm in a bit of a weird position because, like, I I'm on a, I'm on a team of one, uh, <laughs> and like everyone else is sort of engaged in like building this. Like this in, like global network with like extremely advanced engineering where like they're dealing with issues like the speed of light and and how to <laughs> overcome it and like I, I'm here tinkering away on a on, on a little JavaScript framework so I I'm sort of a little bit separate from the what I sort of think of as the real work at Vassell. Um, but it's nice. It's like a really good home to be doing this sort of thing because, you know, the company is very sort of pro open source and it's just nice to be able to sort of like be in the same Slack channels as, as some of the great minds that were there. That is a really great point too. Where do you think Vercel will fit kind of into the future of Svelte? How are they helping to build Svelte up and what process are they taking to get you there? I mean, so the obvious one is is by allowing me to focus on it full time, our development velocity is has significantly improved. Um, Svelkit is obviously not yet at a 1.0, but we're much closer to that than we otherwise would have been. Um, and you know, I I think that's gonna also mean that we could probably do a new major version of Svelte this year, perhaps. Although again, no no promises. Um, but in, in the broader sense, uh, I, I think it, it means a few different things. Like we have Steph, for example, Steph Dietz, um, mm-hmm. who is, uh, she works on the developer relations team at Vassell and is heavily focused on Svelte stuff. And so like she's building out tutorial content and, um, and like examples and stuff like that, which is going to make it a lot easier for people to get started with stuff, particularly if, um, you know, people like to learn by watching videos. Um, and you know, there's like, it gives us access to, uh, engineering expertise around, um, you know, the kind of ops stuff that, uh, that Vassell excels at. Um, but also like Vassell is a really good company for like design and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm interested in, in how we can sort of cheekily take advantage of some of that in-house expertise and, and apply it to Svelte. 
That's awesome. Yeah. If you don't know who Steph Dietz is, go check out her content. She's one of my co-founders on this felt siren. She's amazing and we love her. Um, so I heard you say that spelt kit 1.0, we're still working, but we're getting closer. And I heard you say that maybe spelt for is what are we looking for in spelt for what might be coming in spelt for? Can I, we have I some? like take it a step further than that? Like, Let's let's pretend I'm a React developer. I've never heard of Svelte. Can we summarize Svelte in like a, a paragraph before we dive into that? Yeah, uh, we, we can we can try. Um, <laughs> it's it's basically solving the same problem, um, which is that you know you want to have your your rich interactive user interface, but you don't want to like manually wire up all of the, the DOM events and uh, and like the data flow and all of that stuff because you end up with this complicated mess of code. Um, and so what React and Svelte and every other component framework essentially allows you to do is to describe your user interface in a declarative way instead of a what we call an imperative way of writing code. Um, and the, the difference is uh, when Svelte came out, like the difference was quite stark. It was... Svelte was uh, like a, it, it was a compiler that takes your your code and turns it into like what we describe as vanilla JavaScript that surgically updates the DOM. Um, other frameworks now, uh, most of them have some version of this, and even React is is moving um, in this direction with projects like React Forget. Um, but essentially, the difference with all of those caveats about it being less of a difference now than it used to be is that Svelte tries to do as much of the work of understanding your code and understanding what has changed on the page before it even gets to the browser. Um, React has to do quite a lot of work when there is a change in the state of your application to figure out how that translates into an update on the page. And, and with Svelte, there's a lot less work because it has it's done it ahead of time, essentially. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing in there is what can you describe the difference between what the compiler is doing versus the virtual DOM and the benefits and differences between those? Yeah, so the the, the virtual DOM is um, is is a way of making um, declarative state ups, updates like fast enough to, to work in the majority of cases. And, and, and what it means is that you essentially re-render your entire application or a, a portion of your application um, and you, the output of that process is this virtual DOM structure, um, which the idea is that that will map to the real DOM once it's gone through the reconciliation process. And the framework's job is to take what was there before and take what you've just generated and figure out what has changed and translate that into into updates um, in the page. Um, and, and it works. It's it's a very effective technique um, and it gives you a lot of flexibility about like how you generate things. Um, but it's it involves a, a great deal of overhead, not just because you're trying to do this diffing process between what you had before and what you have now, but also because um, you need to re-render your entire application um, or, again, a sub a sub part of your application, which means like regenerating a lot of objects and arrays and functions and um, like potentially doing some fairly computationally expensive work. And so the default is to do a lot of work and the job of the application developer is to try and make it so that you're not doing too much work. So you have like these things like use memo and stuff like that to, to try and like claw back some of the, some of the wasted work that you've, um, that you've, that you've uh, imposed on, on users by 
using this virtual DOM paradigm. Um, and what, what Svelte does by contrast is it assumes kind of that everything is is not going to change and then tries to detect the things that are going to change and then like add some wrapper code around that to make those changes take effect. So you, the default is to be very fast and then you sort of, by using uh, reactivity in your application, you, you opt into this, uh, this update cycle. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I, I had to sort of work on that pitch and, and, and try and like vary it for who the audience is. But um, the, the original promise was by doing it this way, you get a smaller and a faster application. Although over the years that kind of that has evolved a little bit into because we have this compiler and it doesn't like there's no necessary correspondence between what you wrote and what actually runs in the browser, um, we're able to offer you this very concise and straightforward and intuitive way of defining user interfaces um, because like we're not trying to write user interfaces in a language JavaScript, which is fundamentally like bad for describing user interfaces. And it gives you some nice like sugar syntax that allows that boilerplate code to be kind of hidden away and taken back where you can compile it down to what it needs to be, but you don't have to write it as a developer, which gives you a great developer experience, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to, we're trying to do as much of the work for you as we can. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit. So what are we looking forward to with Svelte 4 and maybe with Svelte Kit 1.0? Like what's the timeline there? Uh, so the, the, the timeline for for Speltkit, I uh, I want to say like um, like a like a month from now, I would like to see the the code more or less buttoned up, and then we've just kind of got to figure out how we document everything. Um, we have docs at the moment, but we don't have anything equivalent to the the tutorial that exists on the main Svelte website, and it would be great to have something like that. So that like building that is going to be a lot of work. Um, beyond just building the framework itself. So, um, I, you know, it's not going to happen for like at least a month, I wouldn't have thought, but it's not going to be six months either. It's going to be, you know, hopefully in the low end of that, uh, <coughs> Ooh, excuse, me. excuse me, low end of that spectrum. Svelte 4 is, uh, I, we, we have a few ideas um, about what that's going to look like. Um, Svelte 1 and 2 were built in a time when we didn't have access to the Web Animations API, um, and we do now. So one of the things that we're thinking about is, is can we rethink how we approach element transitions and stuff like that? Have some of the the, the goodness that the Web Animations API gives you like baked into the framework so that it's much easier to do things like transitions between layouts and, and stuff like that. Um, we are also interested in how we can make um, the the component code that gets outputted by the compiler smaller so that if you have a very large page with uh, like a very large number of components um, it that doesn't result in a in a big JavaScript payload um, because even though spell apps are typically somewhat svelter than apps written in React and Vue and whatever um, there is an inflection point where because the compiler is generating code for your components. Um, the, the size of any given page could be larger if you've written it in Svelte than with other frameworks. And that's something that I think we can we can probably fix. What is that inflection um, point? It, it's, it's pretty big. So people have 
kind of done some research on this and uh they found that it's around like 130 kilobytes um so you're, you're talking about typically dozens of components before um before you reach that inflection point um and you have to like also consider the fact that because Svelte has a lot of stuff built in, you're typically not importing a lot of external libraries, which you very probably will have to if you're using something like React. Um, so realistically, it's not an issue that people hit, like, ever. But it, it is something that people always wonder about. It's like, given the way that Svelte works, like, fundamentally, this inflection point must exist somewhere. Therefore, I'm going to worry about it prematurely. Um, and I think it would be nice if we could just like say, actually, no, the output code is in some cases smaller than the input code. That that would be kind of fun. Um, and I think that changing to the uh, to that method of, um, of of generating components um, is also potentially an opportunity to uh, to add some uh, to add some more features. Like Svelte doesn't have a concept of error boundaries at the moment, and and that's the kind of thing that would be easier to do um if we if we had uh, a slightly different paradigm so um there's a lot of experimentation a lot of research to do um a lot of thinking about if we want to change how stores work um to enable more fine-grained reactivity and things like that um but there's there's nothing that we've like we haven't got to the point of deciding definitively what is in scope for salt for and what isn't yeah, what are your thoughts with um, some of the newer things that are coming out with like shipping no JavaScript to the browser by default and uh, things like Astro and Quick and some of those frameworks with Islands architecture or some of those things, thoughts that you want to bring into Spell or what are your views around that? Um, I, I think there's a lot of really cool experimentation happening at the moment. Um, I, I also think that people are obsessing over it a little too much. Um by and large, like the the code, if, especially if you're using like one of the the newer frameworks that are out. Um, but by and large, like the amount of JavaScript that you're shipping with your framework is not the issue. If you look at any major website, the thing that is destroying its performance is all of the like the third-party script junk, like all of your your analytics and yet advertising shit and all of that um and it's like your hero image and all of this stuff um so yes javascript is expensive bite for bite is more expensive than anything else on the web and most websites do have too much of it but it's not because we're doing full page hydration other than in like relatively contrived places but because we're at a point now where frameworks are pretty good um they're pretty good at not including a lot of JavaScript that you don't need. Um, and like a lot of the performance problems that were introduced with like the desktop era frameworks of like the early 2010s, they've kind of been solved. And so it's like, where do we go from here? And so the, the people who tend to obsess over performance are obsessing over performance. And like, this is what's left, right? We, 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 we've got like right down to this, and we want to go down to this. Um, but it turns out that that isn't the problem. That's not the performance issue that, that most websites have. And so I, I'm interested in this work. And if if some of it pans out and has like meaningful real-world impacts outside these contrived scenarios, then 
it's very likely that Svelte will steal some of the best ideas and incorporate them. But it's not our top priority right now. I yeah. think there's there's bigger problems that we can be working on. Awesome. Are you going to throw in your plug for Party Town here? I was just going to say, you got to try out Party Town. It's amazing. Yeah. Adam's been working hard on it. And it moves all those junky, like, third-party things off into a web worker. So if, if you haven't, we're, we're going to do a Svelte example hopefully soon where it shows off. Here's all of your Google Analytics and this, that, and the other thing in Svelte moved off to that web worker. So pretty excited about it. Might be a good time to transition to our ad real quick. I think you're right. Guess who's <laughs> sponsoring us today? All right. Today's podcast is brought to you by Builder.io, visually building the web. Builder.io has one of the most powerful visual editors in the industry. Unlike other tools, Builder actually produces the code for you. You don't have to completely switch out your framework either. Just use one of the handy SDKs that are available. There's no limits to what you can build. Instead of limiting your marketing team, start to optimize and let them do the work. This will allow your web developers to get back to the hard work that it takes for other components, allowing your team to do A-B testing and personalization. Stop worrying about bugs in production. Just use the site as it is, then you can analyze and start converting all of your customers with Builder's built-in heat maps. Stop limiting your growth with developers' long lead times. Start building, optimizing, analyzing, and start growing faster. Don't take my word for it. You can sign up for free today and start building the web visually with Builder.io. All right. So we talked about... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think I might be able to say that whole ad by the time, like, you know... (laughs) You're going to memorize it and be able to podcast. Sorry. So we talked about islands architecture and how we don't think that's truly the problem with JavaScript, not being the real problem with the web. That's all these third party scripts. But what about the reactivity in spell? Is there a way that we could take an approach more like solid JS where it's a fine grained reactivity? Is there something we could do there to improve upon Spelt's reactivity? Uh, so I, I briefly mentioned this in the context of, of Svelte 4. Um, one thing that I think it would be nice to be able to do is have, um, at, at the moment, like a, a, a store, if you want to uh, access properties of a reactive store, um, the store has to be a, um, a free variable in, in your component. Um, and I think it would be great if uh, we had a way of stores being properties of objects um, so that uh rather than um rather than opting into any change in your big object of of, of things like you can you can subscribe to just the property that, that you're interested in um i'm not a huge fan of approaches that are based on um proxies and and, and things like that i i think that tends to be a little bit too magical for for my liking um, I prefer a more explicit opt-in, um, but yeah, that's something that that is kind of in the back of the mind as we're thinking about Svelte for. Awesome, yeah. Okay, so what do you think that Svelte needs to do to be able to get more market share and buy-ins from larger companies using it? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll preface my answer by saying that um, market share has never been our primary goal. Um, 
I, I, Rich, I, I think the more specific question is how can Brittany work for more companies doing stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, it's happening. You, you know, it's definitely happening that uh, there are more Svelte jobs available and there are more companies that are using Svelte. And I think that once Svelte Kit is there, um, we're going to see uh, that that trend accelerate further um, once it once it reaches 1.0. Um, and I think the fact that um, that Vassell is backing Svelte has been a signal to um, a lot of companies that this is something that they can potentially rely on. Whereas previously, Svelte was sort of seen as this slightly risky project. Whereas you know maybe the engineers at a company want to use it, but the the CTO or the project managers like that they don't want to touch it because they have to worry about things that the engineers don't have to worry about, which is you know totally legitimate. Um, so you know I I think this problem will kind of solve itself over time. It's not something that we spend a lot of time worrying about because uh, I, I think it's very unhealthy for open source projects to focus on adoption. I know it's a thing that the open source projects do um, through a combination of you know in some cases it's you know it's it's vanity. Let's face it. Um, in other cases, it's because the the open source part of the project is actually the um the hook to some sort of venture capital backed business model um and in those cases like adoption is super important like all you care about is market share um and like the the quality of the open source project is secondary to that hopefully aligned with adoption but you know not necessarily um and i i think you know it's been kind of interesting to see the rise in VC backed open source over the couple of years. I think it's going to be even more interesting to see the fall in VC backed open source. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, we're not thinking about like, how do we, how do we get the largest number of users? We're thinking about how can we make the best framework possible? Um, and, and that's what we love yeah, about the, it. The rest, the, rest will, the rest will just happen if we're doing the right thing. That is so true. I love that. So I saw a preview of the state of JavaScript survey, which speaking of another thing that really doesn't matter, but it's fun to look at. And Svelte was still at near the top and SvelteKit was actually on the top as well. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, but I saw a sneak preview and I'm kind of excited. Have you heard that? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I saw some leaked screenshots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know if there are final results or not. I I assume that we're we're nearing the publication of the State of JS survey. Um and yeah, Svelte, Svelte did really well. The the signs are very positive um for us. And it's it's gratifying, definitely. Um especially after last year when we did so well. Uh there's there's always that fear that, you know, you're a one-trick pony or a flash in the pan. Um and if 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 things go like that, then, you know, it's very easy for a, a narrative to solidify about like the hype cycle or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that hasn't been the case. Um, as, as our user base has grown, um, we haven't like lost satisfaction. We haven't like, you know, people still like using Svelte, which is nice because typically what happens is as a project gains adoption, um, some of the people using it are the people who didn't choose to use it. They just ended up on a team where they have to use it. And so typically what happens is is satisfaction goes down over time. Um, but we're, we're not yet at that part of the curve, which is nice. 
Um, whenever people talk about state of JS, they sort of feel obliged to say that it's not a representative sample and it's like statistically flawed and it's kind of bullshit. And I, I, there's a lot of truth to all of that and you can't not acknowledge it. Like the sort of people who, who fill in a JavaScript survey are not necessarily representative of the developer community at large. Um, but I, I also think that we've kind of overcorrected a little bit and people are too critical of state of JS. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a, a real labor of love by Sasha, the, the, the guy who puts it together. Um, and he is super aware of all of the criticisms that people level at it. And as long as you're not taking it as like this uh, sort of an objective map of the developer landscape, but rather just like an interesting set of anecdotes and observations um, that are hopefully relatively consistent over time, then it's kind of interesting to look at the trends. And I also think that, you know, you, you, you could expect, especially when people are always so ornery about everything in the JavaScript world, um, I, I would expect there to be a bit of like the, you know, the Yelp effect. Like you only leave a, a review at Yelp if you had a terrible meal by and large. But instead, like people filling out this survey, um, they're actually talking about the things that they love using. And, and it's as an open source maintainer, it's heartwarming to kind of get some level of, uh, of, 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 of like positive feedback from people that you're not necessarily communicating with day to day. And so I think that it's, it is reasonable to be skeptical of, um, of state of JS, but I think that, you know, a, a lot of the time the people who are most skeptical are skeptical because their pet projects weren't the ones that, um, that, that got the best results. And, um, you know, we, we should, we should take it with a grain of salt, but we shouldn't discard it. Completely. Absolutely. I think there's still value for the community there. I mean, it does show you the trends, whether that's like absolute, or not, it, it shows you what's going on in the state of JavaScript. And I think there is value there for the community in that. So what are your favorite things about just the Smelt community in general? Uh, oh, my favorite things about Smelt community in general. Um, I mean, I, I love the fact that we have this, um, this core team that is like truly global. Um, and from a completely uh, like different set of backgrounds. We have people working for all, all, all different kinds of companies, people with all different experience levels. Um, and I think that manifests itself in, in the way that like we take design decisions about the framework. Um, everything is done um, like not from the perspective of any one specific use case or any one specific company, but um, it is truly sort of consensus driven. Um, and, and the, the community at large, uh, I, I find the, I, I think the word that I would like to use to describe this folk community is, is whimsical. Like we, we love whimsy. Um, we don't take any of this stuff too seriously um, because, you know, our, I, I think we haven't written this down anywhere, but I think one of our sort of guiding lights in, in the Svelte world is that web development is supposed to be fun. And, and you kind of see that. Um, w like when you see the the replies to Svelte Society tweets and, and stuff like that, like people are having fun and and that, that makes me happy. I completely agree with that too. And I feel like it's such a tight knit community, not that it's small still. I mean, it's growing, but it just feels like everybody's friends in there and you can just communicate well together. And I love it. So you mentioned the core team there. How many are on the core team? 
Um, it, it fluctuates. Uh, I think like officially it's probably about 30 because like sometimes people will come and they'll stay for a while and then they'll sort of, you know, life will intervene and they'll drop off for a bit. Um, in terms of active maintainers, um, I, I would say like t 10 or 11 or, or, or so. Okay. And are, are we working through issues fast enough or is there a need for more maintainers still? I know at some point we were looking for V help to get to 1.0. How is all that looking and shaping up? Um, v is looking in great shape. I am really happy with the bet that we made on, on V at the beginning of Svelte Kids development. Not the beginning, but like halfway through. Um, what do we need to to keep the the issue close rate fast and the issue open rate? Um, it's a really hard question because it's it's not like you can just sort of throw more people at, at the problem at and it'll problem, go away. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know. That's something that, that we think about a lot and we haven't yet come up with like the magic bullet. Um, mo mostly it's just uh, trying to have a good sense of what the biggest pain points that people are suffering are is. And so that's where we've been kind of focusing our efforts is trying to understand um, which issues are most important to people. Because unless you can triage things like, there's there's too many issues you can't just like pick one at random and hope that it's going to magically fix things also very often when you're this is something that's maybe a little um hard to appreciate um sometimes for people who aren't involved in open source maintenance is that when you submit an issue when you raise an issue you're thinking about that issue in in isolation um but as a maintainer, you have to think about how closing that issue would interact with the solutions to all of the other issues that are currently open. Um, and sometimes you have to sort of chart a, a path through these sort of rocky waters um, and not focus on any one thing in isolation because then you'll you'll, you'll find yourself um, stuck in a corner. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's it's not just a case of like getting more people to close issues. Like we need to be able to like identify the issues that are related to each other and 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 think about how we solve them in a architect way. the thing as a whole, so to speak. Yeah, um, and you know, again, me being full time on Svelte now, um, I, I'm I'm hopeful that that is going to mean that we are able to to do that uh, more on on Svelte. I have personally been completely neck deep in svelte kit for the last uh few months so i haven't really even looked at the svelte repo lately but um once svelte kit reaches a stable release then um i don't know maybe maybe this problem will just solve itself what drove that drive to github discussions that was a recent change right where we moved discussions over to there what what was, yeah, the part um, of that? was it all this issue stuff uh, it, it is. I mean, so so people um, people will will tend to try and like ask their questions in in GitHub issues, which is um, is, is very difficult to deal with because that um, you know it, it just creates a lot of noise and it's it's very hard to sift the actual bug reports from people just asking for help. Um, and then we've got like this separate RFC repo all the way over here, which. Um, kind of needs to be more closely integrated with the the projects that it relates to and then we've got stack overflow 
which like it's difficult for us to to monitor that effectively and it would just be nice if um we could build up a knowledge base um using the website that everyone already uses which is which is github um in a place where we're able to get effective sort of notifications about it and and stay on top of it um and like discord is the community home but it's too ephemeral for building up a knowledge base um and so it, it, it's really about that it's about um being able to answer people's questions um without it immediately being lost in in the discord noise um and also just like trying to move people out of github issues that makes a lot of sense. We just recently made a change in this felt discord too, where we added the help threads. And so if you ask a help question, it'll go straight into a thread to kind of reduce the noise a little bit and make it more maintainable. So I completely understand that. You were talking about SpeltKit again and getting that to like a stable point. So I want to talk a little bit about shadow endpoints, which was a mm -hmm. recent change. And I wanted to understand a little bit about the reasoning behind adding this and what the benefits were in it. Uh, yeah. Um, so I mean, this is something that, that we like we identified a need for this right at the beginning of SpeltKit's development. And people have brought it up a couple of times, which is that um, you know, you, you have your you have your component that defines a page, and at the top of it, in the module context, you have a load function which fetches the data for the page. And and typically, the the, the way that this works is you have an endpoint that serves the data. So you know, for the canonical example, you have a, a blog page, and you have a an endpoint. So blog slash slug dot json contains the data that is going to get rendered as HTML, and then the blog slash slug dot svelte component. Um, is is loading the data from that endpoint, and it's pure boilerplate, right? If you have a load function and all it's doing is fetching data from your own endpoint, um, it's going to be the the same basic function every time, and you're going to be tempted to skimp on things like error handling and and all of that stuff. Uh, and we we wanted to be able to just get rid of that boilerplate. Um, and a lot of people suggested, what about having the, the endpoint itself defined in the Svelte component? Um, so you have your get handler right there in, in the Svelte component. Um, and we, we thought about ways to make that work, but ultimately decided it, it was, it was a, a bad idea to have some code that only runs on the server next to code that could run on the server or client, um, even if you're able to communicate that effectively so that people understand that this code is running here this code is running there this code might also run there um like it, it's confusing when you're looking at the code and you have uh server-side code that is in scope in your editor when you're doing like the other stuff um like you could reference a function or a variable that is supposed to only be accessible server-side and so we decided that the the best approach would be to have um Endpoints and pages that share the same name are treated as as a unit together. Um, and so, if your get function returns some data from an endpoint, it's immediately available as props in the page, and that just cuts down on a whole load of boilerplate. And it also enables us to um, to post and patch and delete two pages, um, and and then like render form validation errors and things like that, which typically you had to do with like in a little bit of a hacky way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's boilerplate reduction and it's, um, it adds some, some new capabilities. 
we're not done yet with it though because we still have you still need a load function for your layout components and it's kind of annoying that you have um so like we're talking about them as shadow endpoints but we're, we're not actually using that terminology in the documentation anywhere so if anyone is like looking at the kit documentation and searches for shadow endpoints you're not going to see it because the way that we're teaching this is like this is the default the default is that you have a page and you have an endpoint and, and they're, they're together um and if you have a standalone endpoint then you can access that without it being attached to a page but like we we document the shadow endpoint as the default and the standalone endpoint is, is the is the exception um where was I? Uh, but yeah, so your layout components still need a load function and they do still need to fetch some data from an endpoint or wherever else. Um, and that is a little bit weird and annoying. So we need to figure out a way to have the equivalent of shadow endpoints for layouts. But at that point, does it make sense to call them layout? Because layout seems like it's concerned with UI and this is concerned with data. And so like we probably need to refine the design a little bit. But this gives you an idea of the direction in which we're going. We're basically trying to eliminate as much boilerplate as we can and provide a really obvious um, happy path for people to um, to get data from the server um, really easily. Um, and I think, I think we're most of the way there. We're working towards a, a way to have like an API layout wrapper. Is that what we're talking about here on the layouts? Um. No, so I, I think you're referring to uh, the idea of, of having some code that runs before your endpoint um, code runs. Um, so, yeah, we, we might end up having some sort of scoped middleware. Uh, at the moment, the, the, the closest thing we have to what you would call middleware in some other frameworks is that you can do um, whatever you want in your handle hook, which is the code that runs when a request comes in the spell kit. You can do all sorts of stuff there. But that runs for every request, regardless of which thing is being requested. Um, and I think what we'll probably end up doing is having some sort of a middleware um, function that is scoped to a specific directory. So in the same way that you have um, uh, a, a layout that is scoped to a specific subtree of your application, mm -hmm. uh, we'll probably have uh, like an underscore underscore middleware.js file that does something similar. And that would feed all of the routes in that directory or subdirectory that you're in? Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. And so with this new syntax, the default way we're saying is if we have a directory and you've got like blog.svelte and then you've got the endpoint that goes along with that, we can drop that JSON syntax now. We can just do a JavaScript file and that will load automatically into the components props. Awesome. Just wanted to make sure I wrapped my head around <laughs> all of how the endpoints are changing. And like you said, it's still a, a flux. There's yeah. still some things to work on, but I, I think we are going in the right direction. Like less boilerplate is what we love about Spelt, I think. And so yeah. getting there where we can just write these things and they just happen magically is it's kind of nice. Yeah. For, for people who are following SvelteKit's development and like people who are already building stuff with SvelteKit, a lot of this stuff is probably a little bit confusing. It's like we're, we're ping-ponging around and like changing things quite rapidly at the moment. And it's it's probably a little bit hard to keep up. And there's a lot of like terminology that we're using, like shadow endpoints, which like makes a ton of sense if you're like in those discussions. But if you're catching up after the fact, it's like, what the fuck? But um, <laughs> once, once this is all done, once we've um, 
like actually figured out all of the edge cases and written up, I think it's going to feel very sort of cohesive and um, and idiotic and intuitive. Um, we, we're just not at a point yet where all of this stuff is well enough documented to make sense to everyone, but just bear with us and, and it will make sense. Give it a little bit. Okay, so to wind down and wrap this thing up, I want to ask you, do you think is felt the most beginner-friendly framework to learn? That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's certainly like one of our uh, one of our guiding lights is that uh, it, we want web development to be as accessible as possible to the greatest number of people. And um, when we make design decisions, we're always thinking about like how how obvious and intuitive is this? Like, is this something that people will be able to learn easily? And a natural byproduct of that is that we do think that Svelte is probably the easiest framework for beginners to learn. But actually, you know, true beginners, um, it almost doesn't matter because um, when people are new to programming, like they'll just kind of accept whatever you tell them. Like, this is the way that we do things. And so, you know, people will, will come to React at first and they'll be like, oh, this is, this is how we build web apps. Fine. I will rewire, rewire my brain accordingly. Um, and I've, I've seen this in, um, um, in the data biz world and, and the news development world. Um, a lot of people come in through D3. And D3 is like a fantastically complicated piece <laughs> of software. It's incredibly sophisticated. And it has some, some, really, um, some really complex concepts. But because people... That's like that's how they come in. They they learn D three and they they see all of the examples. It has this wealth of examples. They're like, oh, this is how we do database. Fine, and they can just do it. They they take to it and it's absolutely fine. But when you take someone who's who's um, you know schooled in in React or whatever, and then ask them to start using D three, they're like, what the? Like they it's just like mind blowing, um, because the concepts are so different. And so I'm. I'm actually kind of less concerned about is this the most beginner accessible framework and more concerned with is this the most accessible framework for someone who already kind of knows their way around web development, knows HTML, knows CSS, knows JavaScript, um, and and wants to learn a new way of building web apps. Um, and so like we try to minimize the concepts that we introduce over and above the languages that people are already familiar with. And I think on that, um, on that measure, we're doing reasonably well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. That's why I fell in love with Spellcat is because I knew HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. I learned React, and it felt like I didn't know the difference between JavaScript and React at that point. And then I saw Spell, and I'm like, I can just write JavaScript. There's a little bit of syntax learning, but it's like, in comparison, was night and day. So... Do you think that there is still value in learning the fundamentals before you jump into a framework? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, um, I, everyone has an opinion about this. And I, I typically, when I'm teaching people um, web development, I do start with the fundamentals. Like I, I don't generally start with something like Svelte um, because I want people to see that a website is just a collection of of text files that you can author by hand, um, and I think there's there's a lot of power in understanding that before you start introducing the tools that make it easier. Other people are like, well, no, like let's start with something that makes it easy to build 
something fun and then people sort of get into the idea of um of, of like you know thinking at a sort of an architectural level before they need to worry about the the plumbing and and, and the and the wiring um and i i don't know i would i would want to defer to education experts on which approach is is better and by the way those aren't necessarily the people who are in fact educators in in, in the programming world because you know a, boot camps are not trying to turn out um like great web developers they're, they're trying to churn out people who can be employed quickly and and, and th those aren't necessarily the same thing um so i i don't know i i have my preference but it's it's based on a hunch really um i would be keen to know what you know pedagogical experts have to say on the matter absolutely all right. I think maybe it's time to transition to our perfect picks. Oh, well done, Brittany. <laughs> I always let you do it. I thought I would just do it. I've been talking so much today. I'm going to just keep going. So, right. Rich, Rich's pick is, is up first. Go ahead, Rich. Tell us all about the time. Um, yeah, my, so I, I, had, uh, I had one of those electric coffee grinders um, for, for some years, and recently it started just not working very well like the the grounds were coming out all chunky and i, I wasn't i wasn't happy with, with with my coffee um and i was looking at replacing it and they're so like electric coffee grinders are just absurdly expensive like if you want a really good one you've got to pay like 250 300 and i i like coffee but not that not much. that much <laughs> um and also it like it takes up a lot of space on the counter and it's noisy as hell like I, I can't, I don't feel like I can make coffee before 7am because I wake <laughs> up the entire neighborhood. And so I, I thought I would try out a manual grinder instead. And I, this is the one that was, was recommended. Um, and it's great. It's like super compact. Um, <laughs> and it's obviously much quieter than an electric grinder. Um, but I, I think what I like most about it is that like the act of grinding the coffee, like it takes about a, like a minute to grind enough coffee for a cup. And it's this sort of contemplative, uh, you know, meditative uh, experience. It, do you have to um, do this for each cup? You, you, you do. You do. Oh. Or you can like, you, like grind a batch and then like we have a, a, a vacuum uh, sealed tub thing that you put the grounds oh, okay. in and like put the plunger down and it squeezes all the air out and it keeps it fresh for a while. Um, so yeah, I get, it will do like one or two cups at a time, but you can, um, you can obviously keep it and it's, it's much better. The, the, my, my coffee is, is much better now. It looks like it makes really good coffee. I don't know if I have time to make a cup, like in the morning, I need coffee to go into my veins as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah. This is why I know I'm not a coffee drinker. I wouldn't go to, to these lengths to get coffee. Oh. <laughs> Um, Rich, second pick, your, your solid kit demo. Yeah, so I, I've, I've been enthusiastic about StackBlitz um, for, for a long time. Like, I'll, I'll talk about it on Twitter from time to time. Um, and I, I just think more people should be aware of, um, of, of what these guys are doing. They have this technology called uh, Web Containers, which essentially allows you to run Node in the browser. And so if you have a framework like SvelteKit, which runs on top of Node, then you can actually run SvelteKit inside your browser. And so uh, if you go to sveltekit.new, 
it will start a new Svelte Kit application in your browser and you can run it. It's just as if you were running it locally. And this is so great for us as um, framework authors because we can ask people to produce reproductions for their issues incredibly easily. And we can produce demos and stuff like that incredibly easily. Um, and so I'm, I'm just excited for more people to start uh, like running mode in the browser. And um, I'm excited for what this means for the future of like how we teach um, full stack frameworks. Um, and I, I just think it's, a, it's an incredible technical achievement and more people need to use it. I will have to uh, have an additional plug here. Go check out this uh, edition we did with Tomek. We break down all of that. It, it's an amazing technology. Love Stack Blitz. I was just going to do the same thing. <laughs> Tomek's really cool too. Uh, Brittany, your pick is up next. Yeah, my pick. Sorry, it's going to switch you over to Discord here. So um, my first pick is the Spelt Discord server, which we talked a little bit about in the episode. But we have a really, like I said, tight-knit community, a lot of friends in there. We just added threads to the help channels. There's the Spelt Society chat channel, the Spelt Sirens channels in there. We talk about Spelt Summit and events that are happening. Um, I know Kev is doing like weekly streams. I'm doing doing streams every couple of weeks in there and those show up as events. So it's just a really fun place and a lot of fun spelt stuff happening in there. A lot of cool people in there hanging out. Oh, and jobs. If you're looking for spelt jobs, there's lots of jobs being posted. So for sure. Cool. All right. Yeah. So my second one right now is just image, but we're hoping that by the time this podcast gets released that I will have my intro to Svelte course out and we'll wait till some of those kinks are worked out with Svelte Kit and start recording some of the harder ones that are still being worked through. But I'm really excited for this course. So looking forward to putting it out there for people to start learning Svelte. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it too. Oh, I see front end horse. Yeah, so huge props to front-end horse Alex uh, Trost. He uh, he has this article about this crazy like generative grid thing. I, I'm obsessed with like these automated like creations of like NFTs or like whatever it is right now. Um, I saw this one pop up and I thought it was cool because specifically called out someone implemented it in Svelte. In Svelte, yes, Jeff just did that. <laughs> yeah, so you can actually go through and like. Do the whole regeneration steps, pick your seed, switch that out, click go. It's just, it's an incredible, incredible, like powerful way to kind of go through these iterations. And, you know, if you change them up and make them more specific, sell them as NFTs again. So I, I don't know. I'm obsessed with that right now. I don't know why. I still don't get it. <laughs> I know. We're going to have to do a whole pod on it just to uh, break things down. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us once again, Rich. Really appreciate it. I can't wait to see what uh, what's coming up with Svelte now that you have more dedicated time to it. Yep. We're really excited. Thank you so much for joining us and for answering all of my expansive questions. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Thank you. Thanks. Later. <laughs>